Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School Podcast, where each week Pastor Anar Ram and Elder Roger Prather will be diving into the weekly lesson from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The congregation at the College Church has made it their motto to love, grow, and serve. We really want to learn to love more, grow more, and serve more. It is our hope that through these conversations, we can learn to better serve our congregation, our local community, and the world. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you are blessed with today's conversation. Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School Podcast. And my name is Pastor Ina Ram, and with me is my friend... Roger Prather. And we are journeying through the Cosmic Messages Sabbath School Quarterly, and we're looking at lesson number seven for May 6 through 12, Worshiping the Creator. And uh, as we get started, I'm going to ask if Roger would have prayer for us. Sure. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful spring day that the pastor and I are here at the church. I thank you for everyone who's listening. I pray, Lord, that the thoughts and the words and the study that the pastor and I go through right now will reflect um, your will for us, for this church, for the community, and for everyone who's listening. And I thank you, Lord, for the technology and the ability to reach as many people as we possibly can. May this be a blessing. Please forgive us of our sins and make us worthy just for now to do this um, on your behalf. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So the title is worshiping the creator and you know it's interesting roger recently i joined a camera club and we have like a a kind of an in-house contest you can submit photographs have them you know critiqued and usually somebody from the outside comes in and critiques them and and it's a very small club very small club. Is that the one here at the church? Yep, very small. And oh, yep. if you're listening and you're not a member of the college church, you should come to the camera club. Yep, Tuesday evenings. Well, almost every Tuesday evening. Well, let us know if you're interested. So we let you know when we're meeting because they don't meet during the summer. But uh, really, when I bring it up, I've been in about three or four of their meetings, and I see the pictures. Some are great. Some are so-so. Some have a lot of work to do as far as composition goes, exposure, etc. And me, I've never submitted anything. And part of my issue is, well, what if it is the worst picture in the world? And I don't want to risk that judgment. And part of me, I have a strategy. I'd like to show it to maybe one of the members who knows photography. You think I ought to submit this type of thing? And so to get some reassurance. But my point of that is judgment. You know, there you put it up on the screen for like maybe 10 people to critique and, and an outsider to say, oh, this is wrong, this is wrong, or this is right, this is right. And judgment is, it's tough. I mean, most of us don't want to be judged, but judgment is important. And at the same time, and it's interesting that our lesson is about worshiping the Creator and we're talking this quarter about judgment. And now we're going back to the creator. And there's something about being in connection with the one who's created us. Who's created us. So, listen, let's read the, the uh, um, memory text here. Uh, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive 
glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So and that's where I was going with all this. I create something and and I may think it's great, but what do other people think? You know what I'm saying? And ultimately, we must go before God and say, okay, God, what do you think? Well, in the context of your camera club illustration, I would say, well, here's the thing about judgment. In our culture, it is very... It is a very popular point of view at the moment to suggest that there is never any justification for exercising judgment. Right. And the question we have to ask is whether that is true, whether that's a legitimate perspective. Is judgment always something that's bad? Mm-hmm. And the problem that we run into when we begin to adopt that cultural perspective is that we end up imputing that ethic mm-hmm. to A, ourselves as Christians. And because we are followers of Christ, we end up imputing that to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if we're Christians, we have to substantiate our behavior on Christ's character. And if we want to be completely non-judgmental, then we have to say that Jesus is non-judgmental. Mm. And scripture does not in any way Doesn't. suggest that. No. And in a more practical so, in a more practical way though, sorry, but it, I would just need to point out that, you know, excellence in any endeavor is based on judgment. And this kind mm, of circles back yeah, around does. to you take your you take your pictures to camera club. And they, you get them judged by someone like Peter Kristoff, who takes pictures for a living. He's worthy to judge your photographs because he's failed. Mm. Sit him down one day and ask him how many photographs he's submitted to National Geographic magazine, and they've been like, "This is garbage. We don't want it." Yeah, and that's his learning process, and we all have to go through that learning process. Yeah. And then back to the Sabbath school lesson, what gives God the authority? Peter Kristoff can judge your photos because he's a professional photographer yep. and he's been through that process himself, a failure. Yep. Well, what allows God to judge us? Yep. His identity as creator. And, I, and I've seen this because, to bring it back around, part of the picture here, and no pun intended on that one, um, is I know Peter, I know a few people in the club, so I, I, since I have a relationship with them, I feel like saying, hey, what do you think about this? Rather than just putting on the screen for with out of context, you know, and I just need some, I hate to say it, but I need a little reassurance. I think yeah. we, all, we all need that. We all need it. But we shouldn't be afraid. Look, I, I, here, this just happened yesterday. I was at a volleyball game for South Lancaster Academy, and there was a parent in front of me, and a friend of, a friend of our families had come to watch my son play volleyball, and we were just kind of catching up because they're retired and they travel a lot. And um, we were talking and she was asking how my graduate studies are going and I'm telling her, you know, where I'm at in the PhD and stuff. And the parent in front of me um, was like, oh, I didn't know you were studying for your PhD. And I was like, yeah. She's like, I, I finished mine last year. And so we, had, we started a whole nother conversation. And one of the things, one of the common things that we discussed about that experience was you go through this period, it's called imposter syndrome. 
you feel completely inadequate because everything you're giving your instructors gets rejected. This isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. And this goes on for months. Yeah. Right. For months, I was writing and writing and writing yeah. and rewriting. And everything was getting rejected. And I, you get to a, I was like despondent at one point. I was telling my wife, like, I'm a fraud, you know, <laughs> like I'm not nearly as smart as I think yeah. I am. But you just have to keep at it. And I think that's a big lesson for the Christian life. Yeah. Right. We think that you're going to get baptized and you're going to mm-hmm. come out up out of the water and the Holy Spirit's going to come down and land on you like a dove. And then everything from this day forward in your life is going to be just hunky dory. And that's just not the case. Yeah. You know, the Christian life is experiential. It is. It is. And you, we, it's, it's in some ways, it's very science. It's, it's like inductive scientific. You just keep trying. But it's also relational. Yeah. That's the key. And, and this is where I think we come back to worshiping the creator. You know, we're, this is about the one who made us. And, 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 uh, I think we need to realize that we are not in this boxing ring by ourselves. You know, maybe it's even a bad metaphor, the boxing ring, but the, you know, Jesus is with us. I don't think so. It's, it is a fight. It is a fight, but, um, it's against the devil, but we say, Jesus, I can't take this round. Please go on in there. (laughs) So it's more like a tag team wrestling Tag team, right? There you go. That's it. So listen, let's take a look here. Revelation chapter one, verse nine, Revelation one, nine, and, and speed by tribulation. That's the focus here, Revelation 1.9, and I'm going to read from the NIV. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And in Matthew 13.21, we're seeing sort of a similar theme here. And Matthew 13, 21, we read these words. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So we can read something from Acts as well and John, but what is the, what's the gist of this here telling us here in the sense that how do we live the Christian life, Roger? How do we actually move forward? Well, it's not... I think the common theme that unites these two texts is that once you embark on the Christian life, you are going to face resistance yep. from both inside your own character as a human and from people around you, the culture, yep. maybe your family. Mm-hmm. And that we sh- what we share is a history with other Christians of facing those same obstacles. Mm-hmm. John is saying, look, I'm your brother in tribulation. I'm here on this island because of my testimony about yep. Christ. And what the ultimate, the ultimate uh, connection there is Christ himself went through tribulation. Mm-hmm. And you connect that to creation, John chapter 1, who created us. Yep. Christ. Yep. And so we don't have, you know, to adopt Hebrews, we, we have a high priest who, is, who, who knows, knows what we've been through. And I think it's interesting that when Jesus was in the garden, he told his disciples, stay here, pray with me. 
John is writing this from from Patmos saying, don't forget me. Um, Matthew chapter 13 reminds us that we need root. And I'm going to say part of the Christian life, a big part, is not walking it by ourselves. It's walking with other people. Right. And that's part of the big picture here is a companion in tribulation. And, you know, we've, we've heard that, you know, one of the worst things is punishment is solitary confinement. We've all heard that, and I would imagine it'd be true. People would lose just their sense of reality, connection with other people, and, and, and uh, you know, we need each other. We need each other. So, um, now, there's a question here. And, and uh, or I'm sorry, a statement. And, and I tried to find a, a Google picture of this, but I couldn't. But it's interesting that it says, if, they, if you were to enter the cave where it is reported that John was visited by the heavenly angel, and by the way, it's, they've torn, turn, turned it into a shrine. If you just go to Google's images, you know, uh, John and Patmos Cave, you'll see it. And, and the way it's been sort of uh, turned into a shrine it's like it does almost doesn't even look like a cave. <laughs> yeah. And you know they have some sort of this that and the other thing. Anyhow, point is is on the wall supposedly and I couldn't see this in the picture. They have the text from Revelation 14 fear God, give glory to him for the hour of judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And the central issue in the book of Revelation is worship, or I'm going to add, is it also judgment? And I think we kind of take the book of Revelation and tie it into many different things. But, um, you know, I don't want to hit split hairs here, but worship is, I guess worship does encompass judgment. But, um, but yeah, at any rate. Well, uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down a little social scientific path here. Yep. Um, there, there's a theory in, in, in the social sciences about what distinguishes one group or system or organization from another. Um, and there's one theory in the social sciences that says uh, what distinguishes uh, different social systems or different social groups is the way that they make sense of their environment. Yep. yep. And so, you know, you have, for example, you have an economic system and the economic system makes sense of its environment in terms of exchange. You know, you have seven widgets and I have seven bags of grain. You give me some of your widgets, I give you some of my grain. And you can't, there's no way to put that into the language of religion, right? You can't really talk mm -hmm. about economic exchange in terms of religion. You can't really talk of, in, uh, about religion in terms of economic mm -hmm. exchange. And so when you talk about worship and judgment, one way that you can kind of bring those together, I think, is that this is the way that, at least from a Christian perspective, this is the way that we make sense of our environment. What make? Why am I? Yeah. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Right. Those are like the big questions that every yeah. person, civilization, has to answer for themselves. Why am I here? I'm here to worship and serve. Right. Yeah. Where am I going? I'm going. I'm already in. I'm already in the kingdom of God. But for the time being, I'm sort of like living in a, an enemy-occupied territory kind of thing. Um, and that's how we sort of make sense. So, again, judgment, what is judgment? We usually put judgment like you, what you're doing is wrong. 
Yeah. And I don't think that that's the proper context. That's not the way we should think of judgment, especially in terms of when we talk about worshiping the creator, because what is, what is, what is it that distinguishes God as creator? Mm. And creation, when we start talking about creation, it can be a very controversial topic because you have these the spectrum of beliefs about the nature of creation. We have our traditional orthodox view, um, and then you have other views, which we're not going to resolve those today. But what unites them, it, it doesn't matter what you personally believe about creation, what unites them is that God is the creator. God gets to set the boundaries. And so you think about our, our, our religious perspective on the world is we see certain boundaries, mm-hmm. right? God has set out certain boundaries when you talk about ethics and, and morals and behavior and things like that. Somewhere someone had to come along and just like countries, right? Someone someone had to come aware, come along and, and draw lines. Yep. This is where the United States begins and this is where it ends. This is where Canada starts. And is it sort of arbitrary? Yeah, because we're humans, right? But you have to do it. You have to draw those lines. And again, mm-hmm. to go back to the beginning, in our culture, it's very popular now to say we, we ought not have any boundaries. Mm, yeah. But if you don't have boundaries, you don't know how to navigate. Right. Right? right. And so God set the roadmap. That's really what it comes down to. God set the roadmap. And this that quote, I'd never put these two together from 147. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the first angel's message sounds a lot like Ecclesiastes. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know, like you're here, like the best thing you can do. What's the, what's the full duty of man? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sounds a lot like Ecclesiastes. So all the other things that you're worried about, all, you know, your attempts to like erase these boundaries and all this kind of stuff to sort of like make your own, you know, because we have that in our culture, you know, rugged individualism. I want to make my own way. It's like, no, bro, like nobody actually makes their own way. Like you, 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 it might've been a while since someone traveled down that trail but mm-hmm. someone did travel down that trail before you did. Yeah. So it's interesting you said that because, and I'm going to use this in a sermon at some point, but uh, it is, this may sound absurd, but it is actually impossible for one person to make a pencil. Now, I'm saying that because the lead has to be dug, mined, you have to get the wood. Then you have to get the little brass little thing that holds the, the, the rubber eraser. So you got to get the rubber, the brass, the wood. That's probably the easiest part is the wood, the paint, the lead. And I and, uh, think I might be missing this. But do you see what I'm saying? You, I mean, maybe if you spent your whole life, you could maybe make do this. And then you have to have someone who devises a manufacturing process well, to put them the all together. That's the other thing, the engineer to design this right. thing. And you got to make the drill to... However, they get the lead down there. And the point is, is, you know, we may think we can, oh, yeah, I'm going to be my, my, myself. But no, we're interdependent. And that's part of what's going on here is that God has created us. And it occurred to me, maybe it's not even a point, but, you know, God creates man, makes, because you are Adam. Your, your name is Adam you're, or man. He doesn't take that name away ever. Matter of fact, he takes it, and, and later on, he becomes the son of man. And it's interesting that, that uh, he still has a connection with us, and that will always be for all eternity. So, listen, um, we, time ticks on here. Um, 
And and we're talking about worshiping the Creator. We've mentioned Revelation 14, 7. But also, I want to take a look at Tuesday's lesson with Acts 17, 27. Acts 17, 27. And the, the, the uh, focus here is, or the lesson, sub, the subtitle is, A God Who Is Close. And it says here in Acts 17, 27, and I'm actually start reading up in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands if, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times, being about boundaries and history, and the boundaries are land. There we go, Roger. And God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And, and this is a profound statement that is being said here. Then this is Paul. He's in Athens, and he's trying to reason with them. And as memory serves me, he doesn't do too good in Athens as far as people saying, yeah, you're right, Paul, you're right. But it's, he, he's, his line of reasoning is so clear. The God I serve doesn't dwell in a temple. He's too big for that. He's too big. And, of course, don't forget, for Paul, that's a significant statement because he remembers the time when they did, God did dwell in the temple. They're in Jerusalem. And so now he's encountered the living God because of his Damascus Road experience. He experienced the living God. He says, wait a second. God is so much bigger than this. Our preconceived ideas fall short. And, and he says, wait a second, God is actually so close. He's so close. Now, I, I can go off on a tangent here, but this is very germane to our lesson because, again, worshiping the Creator doesn't involve me getting on a plane and going to Grand Canyon and looking at the canyon. Well, that may be a spiritual experience or seeing the redwoods in California or seeing the fjords of Norway or whatever. That doesn't necessarily mean that that may help me or going to the top of uh, Mount Washington or Monadnock or wherever, and it may help me to see the vastness of creation. But ultimately, God is right here, right here. And the question is, how do we find that? How do we, how do we connect with a God who is so close and wants to connect with us? Any thoughts, Roger? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so this comes in Paul's address at the Areopagus in yep. Athens, as you pointed out. And Paul wasn't really expecting, if I'm remembering the story correct, he wasn't really planning on spending a lot of time in Athens. He's in. Um, he's waiting around um, for some people in Athens. And while he's there, he decides, you know, uh, maybe I should... Um, you know, preach the gospel to these people. Hmm. And, of course, he's from what today we would call Turkey. He can mm -hmm. speak Greek. 
So he goes and uh, the Areopagus. So Athens, Athens has a deep history, and this is important. This isn't just tangential stuff. Athens has a deep history. You go back to the fourth century BC. You have Socrates. You, well, you have the pre-Socratic philosophers, but then you have Socrates. And then you have Plato, Socrates' student. And then you have Aristotle, Socrates, uh, Plato's student. And so you have these compete, what develops into these competing schools of philosophy. Um, and Athens becomes the center for uh, philosophical thinking. It's sort yep. of like a university town. Yep. Imagine like Cambridge, yep. right? So you have Harvard over here, you have MIT over here. And imagine a place in the middle where the Harvard people come and the MIT people come and they have these philosophical debates. That's what the Areopagus sort of is. Yeah, It's like a free speech zone. And so Paul goes there and he tries to reason with the Greeks in Athens based on their own uh, presuppositions, why what they're searching for is ultimately answered by the God of the Bible. Mm -hmm. This is Paul's whole project. Paul is the missionary to the Gentiles. Yep. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to distill that Hebraic heritage and make it palatable and comprehensible to the Greek mind because mm -hmm. they're two different ways of looking at the world. And that is so relevant for us today because the Greeks viewed the gods as distant, capricious, um, at times unintelligible. And I don't want to get into too deep mm -hmm. of intellectual mm -hmm. history, but the, the world of Athens in the first century is not terribly dissimilar from the world we find ourselves in the West today. Exactly. Yep. And, you know, people see if God's there, he's very distant. If God's there, he's doesn't have a whole lot of relevance um, in our lives. And Paul tells us that, no, he's very relevant because, and he again, he borrows from Greek thought to make these points, because the ground you're standing on, the foundations of that ground was laid by this entity, this being, mm -hmm. and you, you, you fail to pay attention to him at your own peril. And again, you, you're in Athens. These people are engaged in a legitimate process of trying to understand their world, mm -hmm. right? And he's trying to tell them, look, if you really want to understand, you have to go back to the source, right? You can't understand, uh, you, you can't understand a, 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 the present without going into the past. You can't understand um, this phenomena without understanding the natural or otherwise, without understanding the phenomena that came before. Same thing applies to the creator. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for him. He's right here. You just have to reach out and, 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 and try to encounter him. And that's what, I mean, really, that's what it is. Just if you look, if you're legitimately looking for God, you will find him. Yep. The and thing that, is, most people aren't really looking for him. Yeah. And sometimes we, we, we are looking for the God that we have preconceived in our minds. And that's, and that's one thing that, that Paul realized. He's on the road to Damascus. He's on fire. He wants to persecute the Christians. He, he has a preconceived idea about who God is, but he's sincere. There's something in his 
life that says, I really want to do the right thing. I don't want to just think I'm doing the right thing. I really want to do the right thing. And so on the road to Damascus, God encounters him. And it wasn't like he went to a shrine or a temple anywhere. He was just on the way. And this is why I think Paul says, hey, he's not far from any one of us. He's not far. You know what's ironic? The way you just put that, it makes me think. Because you said we the preconceived ideas, right? Mm-hmm. The God that we preconceive usually ends up looking a lot like us. Oh, big time. And so Paul, <laughs> and here's, here's, here's the weird irony. Paul is serving a God that he has preconceived, that he, he believes looks a lot like him. Yep. He encounters the real God in the person of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And here's the twist. He encounters a God that looks an awful lot like him. Mm. But instead of the God being molded in Paul's image, Paul realizes I'm supposed to be molded in his image. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. does look a lot, awful lot like us, mm-hmm. but it's not us who looks like God. It's not God who looks like us. It's us who looks like God. So what Paul is saying in, 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 in Athens in the Areopagus is you've come up with all these ways of describing the divine, right? And you know he's, he's being very diplomatic. I can see you're very religious. Mm-hmm. And he's he not being insin- insincere. No. You know, because you, these, some of these old sages who can trace their intellectual lineage back to Socrates and Plato and Aristotle hundreds of years before, they are really, really trying mm-hmm. to get to the bottom of things. Yep. Socrates was put to death for it, yeah. right? He's in Athens. Socrates, you know, we, we forget all this history. We don't learn this history. We don't teach this history in church. We should. Yeah, we should. You know, Socrates in Athens, in Athens, where, where Paul is in Acts 17, they put Socrates to death because he was basically a monotheist. He made fun of the polytheism, although he used it to make his points. Plato did the same thing. Aristotle did the same thing. But they put Socrates to death for introducing new religious doctrines, mm. right? So that we, we forget all of this cultural history that Paul's wading into. Um, and he knew exactly what he was doing, mm-hmm. um, and that's why the you know the the the, the shrine to the unknown god. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, "Look, this unknown god that you claim that you're searching for, right? He's drawing on all of this, and we we do such a bad job of of <laughs> kind of goes back to what we were talking about before we started recording. We do such a bad job of really linking this stuff." Mm-hmm. to the lives and the issues and the, 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 the obstacles that people face in the real world. We moralize. Yeah, we moralize. Yeah. And we, we, we should stop doing that. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it's interesting because it, it's right there in Genesis, let us make man in our image. We are created in the image of God. He is not some, you know, we, we, he can think, he reasons, he loves, he cares. And I don't think we're going to need to get down to like what color is his skin or how many hands he has, all this sort of thing. But the idea is what is man? What does it mean to be made in man's image? And this is what Paul, he understands on the road to Damascus. Yeah, he sees God in the way he sees him. But also he realizes, hey, guess what? God wants me to bring this message to the Gentiles who were the outsiders before Damascus. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. It's like powerful and it shifts his way of looking at the entire world 
So speak, speak. And that, and, and the other thing too is, is, since you mentioned like skin color and eye color and things like that, when when Paul said, "I'm I'm the missionary to the Gentiles," he had to convince Peter and the other apostles that his mission was legitimate. Yep. And their initial reaction in the Hebrew world was, "Well, that means you're going to turn them into Jews." Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and Paul's like he spends the rest of his life trying to t- explain, like, no, that's not the first three chapters of Romans is completely dedicated to trying to uh, overcome that misconception. Yeah, and you talk about like you, you sort of hint at you know we talk about going to the top of a mountain or the Grand Canyon, you hint at this like natural law perspective. Paul just comes right out and says it. Look, you guys have the law, and if you obey the law, that's great. But if you know the law and yet you disobey it. You are no better off. You're worse off yeah. than the Gentile who doesn't have the law, but yeah. has intuited God's desires, yeah. the boundaries. We talk about boundaries, the boundaries of creation that God has set. The people who intuitively know that and obey it are better off than you who have the law written down and yet disobey. And we, we gloss over this stuff so much. Yeah. And it's linked, it's intricately linked when we talk about worship him who created heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. We are so far off the plot a lot of times in our very superficial glossing over of scripture. We don't really understand. Yep. And, and that's going to take us into next week's lesson, which we won't touch on this at this very moment, but the Sabbath. I, 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 I think we, yeah, let's, let's, ju- let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Yeah, sorry to keep... uh, No, this has been very good. And Colossians chapter 1, uh, 13 through 17. Roger, would you read that for us? Just give me one second to get there. Colossians chapter 1, 13 through 17. 17. All right. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Hmm. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, because by him everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. That's, he's talking about Christ. He's talking about Christ and and how that relates to to you and to me. And and we could go over to uh, let's jump to Romans chapter three. I should have looked that up while you were reading that one. But I'll read Romans chapter five, seventeen through nineteen. Romans five, seventeen through nineteen that tells us these words. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Christ Jesus? And consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. And it's powerful because as I look at these texts, it helps me realize that God does not leave us to 
sink in the problem we created or to come up with a solution for our own problems. He doesn't let us just wallow in our misery. He has found a way to pull us out, to rescue us, to change us. So, so he's created us he's, and he's redeeming us. And, and it's a total, I don't want to sound trite, but a package deal package deal and this is one thing I think Paul's understanding is he's realizing he's it, he's got all the bases covered he judges us but he's also got the gospel he's got the good news oh, man. I <laughs> wish we had more time um, <laughs> you know I was thinking about this the other day and again we we don't really get deep into the background mm-hmm. that helps us to really understand what's going on here. We read it and we we comprehend the superficial grammar of the the sentences, but then we we don't really do a good job of teaching the ideas that lie behind them. Here's the thing about Jesus being a human being. If you go back to the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. On that day, that's the day that all the sins from the prior year are erased from the temple. The temple becomes a record-keeping system, right? The sins that people commit and the sacrifices they make for those sins are kept record of in the blood that is shed in the temple. Yeah. And then on the Day of Atonement, you have a goat. You have two goats. Mm-hmm. One goat is led away into the lots are cast over them. They, ha- they both have to be perfect and without blemish. Lots are cast over them. One is led off into the wilderness. One is sacrificed, and the blood of that goat is taken into the most holy place and brought before the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus is our high priest because he is the goat. His blood is what allows him to walk into the Father's presence and plead our case. And, you know, we get wrapped up in, well, how exactly does Jesus dying on the cross pay for my sins? And what, what, how does that relate to judgment? You know, uh, you know, Jesus paid the penalty. And if we say, okay, Jesus, we're cool. uh, Jesus is going to, you know, uh, just erase all of our sins and then God's going to go after and all the people who who said no Jesus we're not cool it's not exactly it's not exactly how it works mm-hmm. the point is that i mean there's so much that we should be getting into and we don't have time anybody could immigrate into the the israelite camp anybody mm-hmm. it was not based on race it was not based on birth it was not based on anything. It was based on consent to abide by the covenant. Yep. Right? That's what brought you into the nation of Israel. Anybody could do that. Anybody. Mm-hmm. And they had to welcome them. That's right out of the Old Testament law. Yep. And so anybody that had agreed to be a part of that covenant community, even if, even if they weren't actual residents, benefited from what the high priest did on the Day of Atonement. Mm. 
right? Because I think uh, I can't remember the character's name, but you remember he he takes some sand. Oh yeah. Back and yep. he says, "I have to, you know, I serve the king. He serves this pagan king, and I want some dirt from Israel because I have to. He has to lean on me. He's old and frail, and he has to lean on me when he bows down before, um, before his idols." Yeah. And when I have to support the king that I serve, I want to, I want to have some dirt from Israel so that I can kneel on that, mm. so that the God of Israel knows that I'm not bowing down before an idol, but by him, because I'm bowing down for him. He was not a resident of Israel. He right. served a pagan king, and yet he benefited from the the the, the duties that the high priest did on the Day of Atonement, which was eliminating the sin from the temple. Yep. And so when we get into judgment, and what's the relationship between judgment and the cross? Jesus is a human being. He's the creator, second person of the Trinity, responsible for our existence, the existence of this world. He becomes a human being. And like I, a few weeks ago, I said that quote. I still haven't found the source, by the okay. way. <laughs> but I said that quote. The story of, 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 of Easter is that God became a human being to show us what life was supposed to be about, and our response was we killed him. Mm, yo, yes, you, yeah, I remember that quote. Now. Right? Yep. And so that's the tribulation that Jesus went through, and that's the tribulation that the Christian life brings you, because the world is always going to hate Christianity because Christianity is always going to be subversive to the various agendas and perspectives and goals of the world. Yeah. Because the world is under the control and influence of demonic power. Yeah. That sounds so wacko in yeah. today's world, but it's the truth. It's right out of Scripture. Our war is not against flesh and blood. And what Jesus does is Jesus says, okay, yeah, you killed me. I went through it all, and you guys killed me. But guess what I'm going to do? You killed me. I'm going to take that blood and I'm going to use it to march right into the Father's throne room and ask you to ask for his forgiveness for what you did to me. Man. Like seriously? Yeah. That's the story. And so when we go out and we preach judgment, it's not that God's sitting there going, "Oh, you had an impure thought. I saw yeah. the way you looked at that woman that crossed the street." I saw, you know, how you looked covetously at that, uh, you know, Maserati in yeah. the parking lot, whatever, you know, that's yeah. not what it is about. Right. The judgment is God saying, you know, who's, who's chosen, who's taken advantage of what I've done? Yeah. Who's accepted the gift, right? Who, that's the distinction that's to be drawn, yeah. you know, and we got to overcome this. Uh, and it's, it's our own fault, Christians, um, we got to overcome this idea that to be a Christian is to be better than everybody else. That's how the world looks at us oftentimes. And you know what? We reinforce it. And and we, we have yet to embrace the fact that we are saint and sinner at the same time. We really are. We don't, uh, yeah. you know, we, we sin, yet in the God, eyes of God, we have Christ's righteousness. And it's not like every time I sin, I'm taking off the robe, and it's not like that. But it's it's a general... How shall we say it? Focus of my life, and I—I I think the best definition of sin is, you know, the best the, the sin. We don't need to look at it as, as sins, like small letters, S-I-N, but large letters, S-I-N caps. What is my purpose in life? What am I really going for? And 
when I accept Christ, the big sin, that driving force, that uh, narcissism is gone. It's removed from the throne. And Jesus goes on a throne. And, and uh, we continue on this journey together. And, and when I fail, I fail. When I succeed, I succeed. Yeah, I think the most important part of that I would, I would liken it to, if I was going to use an illustration to explain it to someone who doesn't really understand whether they're Christian or not, I would use the illustration of uh, immigration and naturalization. Yeah. Right? So we live in a country that has laws, and those laws provide freedom. Right. Right? Uh, in multiple ways. Somebody's from another country where they don't have the rule of law, and consequently, they don't have freedom. Right. And they say, I want to come to this country. I want to come to your country, whether it's the United States, Great Britain, you know, whatever, Western Europe. But I want to go to this country where they have law and they have freedom. Mm-hmm. And they have freedom because the law. Exactly. And so what do I do? I apply for naturalization and I say, in exchange for me submitting myself voluntarily to your laws and your norms and your culture... In return, I get freedom. So I have to obey the law, but I get freedom yep. under that law. That's Christianity. And nope, nope. judgment is who's outside. Yep. That's all it is. Who's yep. immigrated? Yep. Who's, agreed, who's agreed to abide by the law in exchange for their freedom? Yep. That's, why God, that's why Paul could say it's the law of liberty. That's right. And what is the preamble? Every. All men are entitled to the right for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the Declaration De- of Independence. There we go. Thank I'm rusty, man. I'm rusty. <laughs> I need to take your class. But su- su- suffice to say, this is what Christianity is about, and we've often gotten off the, on the track on the wrong track. And so. let me go. Can we jump? To, I know we got to move. Jump to Thursday's lesson. Yep. That's Thursday's lesson. The Creed it on is the cross. Basically, you've already led us there. Yep. Yeah. God says, I I, I subject myself to this standard, yep. right? Because here's the law. I lived according to the law. I'm, I, 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 I used my freedom. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, I used my freedom under God's law yep. to lay down my life for yep. others. I accept the consequences, right? I accept the consequences. And that goes back to the tribulation part that we started off with. Yep. Are we willing? That's part of the deal. Yep. The world's going to... The world's going to oppose you. Yeah. And, and, and is it Jesus who, or Paul says, very rarely will anyone lay down their life for a, a good person um, and forget about doing it for a bad person. But that's one thing that Christ does is he does it for all of us. That's Romans chapter 5, I believe. There yeah. we go. I thank you. So I want to just touch on John 19 as we are wrapping up here. John chapter 19, um, verses... Uh, uh, 16 through 30, we won't take time to read all of this. But 19, this is the scene. Uh, Jesus has been before Pilate, and he's being handed over, he's being handed over to be crucified. <clears throat> Talks about the crucifixion of Christ. And there in the cross, he's concerned about uh, Mary and, and Mary and their future. And, and uh, then, of course, in 28, uh, he says, I am thirsty. And then in 29 and 30, the last words, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And I think that's 
very, very important for us to embrace. It is finished. It is done. There's nothing more that can be done to this plan of salvation than what Jesus did right there. Period. Nothing else can be done. He put the period on there. It's not a question mark, but it says it is finished. And as we consider that fact, you know, we realize that the one who died upon the cross is our creator, and he's the one who made a way so we can be in fellowship with him, we can be with God for eternity, and we know who indeed we are. Roger, going to give you a few minutes here. Any thoughts about this? I can see your, your, the gears are turning in your mind. I just want, I know you don't want to read the whole thing, but yeah, I just we, want, we don't have time. I would like to turn <laughs> the listener's attention to uh, John chapter 19, verses 6 through uh, 11. Right, 6 through 11, this is where Jesus is being examined by Pilate. Um, Pilate tells them, they say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate says, uh, crucify him yourselves. There's nothing for me. There's no charge here. Mm-hmm. And the Jew, what did the Jews say? Verse 7, we have a law. Mm. We have a law. And so Pilate kind of freaks out because he made himself to be the son of God. Pilate kind of freaks out. Let me go investigate some more. Where are you from? But Jesus doesn't answer. He doesn't answer mm-hmm. that question. And so Pilate says, hey, you're not going to talk to me now? Mm-hmm. Don't you know that I have the authority to crucify you, to kill you? And Jesus, man, verse 11, yep. you would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Man, you know, like, is there, it, Jesus is, I mean, man, the, 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 the depths that you could explore that. Oh, I'm just thinking as you're saying that, Jesus could have looked anyone in the eye, anyone in the eye in the 21st century said, you would have no mind if it were not given to you from above. You would have no breath if it were not given to you from above. You'd have no conscience, you'd have no love, you'd have no meaning to get out of bed in the morning if it weren't given from above. I'm glad you draw us back there, Roger. And can I just make one last tie to the overall lesson, right? This is the three angels message. We're supposed to be out there preaching the gospel. And we are, we are, and I love telling people this. I love to, I don't care if you are in the United States right now listening to this, or if you're in Western Europe, I know we have some folks overseas who listen. If you're in Western Europe or the United States listening to this right now, you are in the global 1% of history. Mm. I don't care how poor or rich you are. If you, lived in, if you live in a modern, developed, liberal democracy, which I'm assuming most of the people who hear yeah. this are, yep. you are in the global 1% from a historical perspective. You are, you are the most privileged, we are the most privileged generation ever to walk the face of the earth. Yeah. What are you using that for? Yeah. Wow. That's a whole other direction, Roger. Time has run out. I want to thank you, the listener, for investing an hour of your time with us, allowing us to be part of your lives. We hope that we, we've been a blessing to you, and I think Roger gave us a good thought question to end on. A good question. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this lesson Uh, we wouldn't have a thing had it not been for you 
that you one day decided to create us and you decided to give us the freedom of choice, to make us free moral agents. Lord, we know we've often made that wrong decision. We made it back in the Garden of Eden when we had everything we needed and we had no reason to make the wrong decision, but we did. You, out of your love, your grace, your concern, your desire to have that relationship with us, went beyond what was required, went way beyond. You became one of us, became fully human, you're fully divine, and there on the cross you paid for our sins. They were put upon you. So Lord, I thank you for the fact that you indeed are our creator and you are our redeemer. And Lord, we look forward to the day as described in the book of Revelation that we will be able to move into the place you prepared for us, where you will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things is gone. We pray that we will be in that number and that it will only be by the grace that comes from heaven, from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In the saving name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. We do look forward to being a part of your life next week as we are looking at lesson number eight and how the Sabbath relates to the last days. Thank you and God bless. If you are looking for a community, have some questions about the discussion, or would like to participate in a live Sabbath school class, please join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. for Sabbath school and 11.15 for our worship service at 337 Main Street, South Lancaster, Massachusetts. This has been a production by the College Church's Communication slash Media Ministry. If you are blessed by this podcast, please like, follow, and subscribe. Join us next week for another lesson and let us all remember to love more, grow more, and serve more.